This Future Construct podcast episode is supported by Applied Software. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. So visit asti.com, it's A-S-T-I.com, and please let them know that we here at Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Future Construct podcast. I'm your host, Amy Peck. We have a fantastic guest with us today, Jag Malella, who is the Senior Vice President and Managing Director at WSP. Welcome, Jag. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Glad to be here. So aside from having an insanely cool name, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit just about your history and, and kind of, you know, how you landed in this industry. Yeah, no, thank, thanks for that question. And yeah, really excited to be here and share my thoughts with you. You know, it, it, you know my personal journey, um, you know, my dad was... Um, a professor, you know, he was a physicist, but then in his later years, he actually turned his uh, uh, physics knowledge to soil physics, you know, so he he studied soil physics for a long time and he taught it. So, uh, and he was a sort of a, I lost him, you know, several years ago, decades ago, but uh, he, he was a more a cerebral person, you know, who used to think the big things, you know, and he was always lost in his thought as a professor. So it kind of inspired me to take up academics and, you know, my journey, you know, I always was intent on, you know, achieving something um, that was high up in the academic world. So I always was set on, you know, doing some advanced degree. So I ended up getting my master's and PhD later on in life and probably inspired by him. And the other side of mine was uh, my, my mom was a, was a musician and she was a creative person. And um, so I also like the creative part of it. Like I like cooking, for example, or, you know, I like music. And um, so, so it was kind of an interesting experience for me, you know, growing up that I, I had both parts of it. So I did my, you know, I stayed, you know, on the academic side, didn't become a musician, you know, got my, uh, as I said, degrees and then moved on into the civil engineering profession. And that's what I saw, you know, and I always wanted to do something innovative, something out of the ordinary. So uh, as soon as I graduated, I picked up uh, a job, you know, in a company that was doing pretty advanced research in pavements, you know, believe it or not, highway road, road, road pavements and materials. And I worked in that industry for a long time, about 16 years doing applied research work. And slowly my horizons expanded from just materials engineering to uh, design engineering, you know, structural design of, of pavement uh, you know, to something more broad scoped. As I expanded my horizons, I looked more broadly at the field of transportation. And I had an opportunity then to move on and do other things across uh, transportation. And, uh, I, you know, there was an opportunity while I was at my previous company uh, to do innovation, you know, basically deploy innovations in a wide variety of transportation fields. That was a big blessing for me because I was suddenly exposed to all the things that were happening that were innovative that drove my interest. And uh, here I am, you know, several years later, you're still, you know, working with the US DOT and the federal government and state DOTs in deploying all kinds of innovation, including in the technology space. So really grateful for that career path, uh, initially uh, peaked, you know, by some love of learning and academics and ending up in, you know, trying to reinvent myself every every time. I, one thing I like is 
not not to stay still in one thing you know i'd like to explore different things and so innovation is a part of what i think you know uh, everybody should be a part of you know change and reinvent themselves so this is my story i love that you say that you know we all need to be involved in this kind of innovation story because i'm a big believer in that and that you know technology can really augment our lives but not if we just sort of leave it to this gilded few to sort of you know build the future and create all the algorithms that we'll be living by um, and so you know and i love also the story about your your mom having kind of the musical interest and do you think that that has kind of given you that kind of left brain and right brain combination that's making you so fascinated by uh, by innovation i strongly believe that you know i think everybody i i think i'm i I took tests on creativity, you know, just to see where I am on the creative scale. And I, I'd say, yes, I think I like to be creative. You know, when I'm on, on teams, you know, we do a lot of innovation deployment where we actually push innovation out to make it easy for people to understand. And some of those taglines, you know, I end up coining them. And, you know, I'm surprised that the teams like that, you know. So, yes, I, I'd say that she probably, you know, her orientation to arts, you know, probably helped me look at things differently and probably, you know, in a, in a, in a different way, innovative way, you know, all of, of course, you know, without me thinking too much about it, it probably is an influence, you know, I'd say, yeah, I yeah. agree. And I think that, you know, the world that you inhabit, it seems that it's sort of one that we just take for granted, right? It's just, it's ubiquitous, right? So, so pavements everywhere, concretes everywhere, and we don't really think about the infrastructure and, and what it takes not only to build, but to maintain. And, and we've recently, you know, had some, you know, some several incidents where infrastructure has failed. And now there's some news about, you know, infrastructure in, in, in cities and whether it's actually going to survive uh, the way it was constructed and built you know, over the next several decades. And so what are some of the things that you're seeing that, you know, whether it's trends or, or cures for some of these challenges where maybe things maybe were not constructed in a way that that can scale and survive? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I just recently finished a report uh, for the Transportation Research Board. Uh, it was looking 30 to 50 years out in, in terms of how do we preserve, maintain, and renew our infrastructure systems? You know, and the question was, what are some of those emerging things in terms of preservation, maintenance, and renewal of our systems? And you know, one thing we did research for about two and a half years with some wonderful colleagues of mine, you know, who whose wisdom, of course, I benefited from. One of them being Hal Kassoff, who was the former secretary and my colleague at w at Maryland, you know, Highway Administration. My my colleague here at WSP, um, and we came up with you know, a conclusion, and it's kind of a bold one, which we basically we said, we will potentially 50 to, you know, 50 years from now, we'll still see roads, we'll still see bridges, you know, they're not going to go away. It's not like the Jetsons, right? I mean, we are not going to replace them because those predictions have come and gone. But the way we, we look at things, you know, will emerge and evolve over time, you know, so the report was not so much about prediction, but about positioning for what's changing. And one of the trends that obviously we picked up, you know, everybody talks about the ubiquitous technology change that will come to us. The changes in the way, you know, even institutionally we're organized to, to deliver infrastructure and to maintain it. You know, 
Maybe the models, the governance model will change in you know, the way we do it. Maybe there are new players that will come and take over the system. Maybe the system becomes more cyber physical. In other words, you know, that's an operative word these days, digital twin, cyber physical system, where you have, along with the hard highway, you also have a digital highway where information flows freely and connects with each other. The vehicles and highways are kind of more interconnected. You know, historically speaking, roads were built and then vehicles came. But now the vehicles are here and roads are incidental because vehicles can guide themselves with, you know, they need something to ride on, but they don't need maybe in the future all the striping and signage. You know, if, if things were to be believed, maybe we don't even need roads because we've got advanced air mobility. It's an area that I worked in, uh, work in. But I'm sure there will be need for roads and bridges. I'm not saying there won't be a need, but there will be a need. But you'll have innovation in terms of, you know, more um, integration of digital technologies. Our governance structures change. The way we source materials will become more sustainable, you know, more carbon efficient, you know, things of that nature. I think over the next 50 years, you'll see changes in everything that we see. But most importantly, you know, I think the issue is with people. I always say innovation is not just technology. 50% of solving innovation is we have a lot of knowledge already in the books. Translating that into things people want to do and can implement and changing the way people you know, take those things on is I think going to be very essential. I think 50% of the work or more is probably in change management, upskilling or getting people used to new things. And I think that's going to be really critical. No, I agree. And I think that it also kind of goes back to, you know, your earlier statement that we really do need to be involved and, you know, change management isn't just for companies. I think it's in how we as individuals do things. And it's, you know, part, part of why, you know, I'll ask the question that I ask everyone, which we'll ask towards the end, um, you know, about our own personal future is I don't think that we spend enough time actually thinking about what we personally want. And, and then and then using technology towards that end. And, you know, yeah. you mentioned maybe, you know, we won't need pavements. Maybe we'll have, you know, car, the sort of flying cars, but maybe they'll hover first and then they'll fly. Um, but we'll still need roads. And so, you know, the way that you're thinking about that, does that for you come from some personal vision about how you, what you'd like to see for the future, or do you have more, do you feel like it's more of a sort of science and uh, infrastructure backed viewpoint that's, that's bringing you to some of your innovation conclusions or maybe a combination? I think it's a combination. I think you have to imagine, you have to imagine a solution. You know, uh, if you see everything around us, like the whole the space mission we just saw, I mean, it is somebody's imagination, right? That you can actually put people who have no experience, you know, have no astronaut training to be up in space, right? It's somebody's imagination to do it. So, and then the systems come. So I think you have to imagine big and you have to imagine to solve problems, to create efficiencies. You know, like you said, I, I agree with you that it is figuring out what is not working and then, you know, trying to solve it in a manner that it doesn't hurt more than it does at the moment and making it more efficient. So I think it's a bit of both. I think definitely technology and science is evolving. We are more knowledgeable today than we were yesterday. Uh, but we do have newer sets of problems that we have created because of that. So I think it's, 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 it's a bit of both. I think you do need a bold vision and you need risk-taking you know, to change fundamentally what you're doing. I think that is, I think, a key. I think it's, it's both. I think it's backed by, I would say, both. 
And how do you think that we can, you know, bring people forward who, you know, there's, there's already a digital divide, right? And, and it's, it, it, it could conceivably get much worse before it gets better, even though I know we're very conscious of it now and, and making strides to kind of close that gap. But for those who just fundamentally fear change because, you know, they like how things were done and they don't want to change it in their lifetime, you know, where's that tipping point uh, and, and how can we, you know, keep an eye on those who may very well get left behind with this sort of new generation of technology, but also make sure that they don't feel completely disenfranchised. I mean, it seems like a, a big conundrum and it may not be part of your day to day, but you seem like someone who, you know, also really cares about humanity. And, and so my guess is that you've thought quite a lot about this. Definitely. I think everything we do today and thankfully, so I think we are talking about equity issues, for example, you know, when we design a new transportation system, you know, who is it going to serve? Is the technology going to serve everyone? Are, is everyone, everyone able to participate in the knowledge economy, for example? If you don't have basic internet service, it's, it's not just in this country. Ultimately, it'll become, it's a global phenomenon because, you, you know, the world is connected in ways that, you know, uh, that it was never before. And I think if you cannot find solutions that bring people in and serve the underserved, I think as, as the first point there, you know, I think you're probably doing a lot of disservice because not everybody can take that space flight, which sounds cool, we talked about, but it is exciting. You know, it puts it within the reach of ordinary people to do it, but then to bring it down, you know, connected in autonomous vehicles, you asked me for trends you know, flying cars, for example, you know, we talk about all these drones, things that are developing that I, I research personally, and I help plan for, you know, they all have to be looked at it from a perspective or simple road building, even, for example, I mean, you put a new road, you know, to boost the economy, bring jobs to a sector, whose jobs, what jobs, how are we dividing communities, I think you have to look at the community, the people, that solution is supposed to serve holistically, not with, with, with the blinders on as we did sometimes in the past. So I, I think um, finding the use cases, thinking broadly, bringing new people into the decision process. Innovation is not a domain of a single person. I think you need broad set of thinking, you know, whether it is race, gender, you know, uh, whatever it is. I think the more perspectives we can bring to solutions, the better off we are in trying to create something that's sustainable and uh, closing that gap, you know, becomes automatic because you have now the participation of stakeholders who are at the receiving end otherwise in the past. So I think it's an important concept. I know it is, um, it's a bit uh, out there in terms of, you know, uh, uh, you know, how we do things today, but I, I think diversity, equity, and inclusivity are becoming a part of what we do today in all aspects of life. And I'm very thankful for that because it is, it is something that, you know, at this firm that I work for, my former boss really uh, ingrained that into, into something that, you know, when we had discussions, you know, his thinking was, uh, uh, was phenomenal. And I really uh, looked up to him on that, on that front about several years ago, but I'm glad it's becoming a reality today. So uh, it's, it's really uh, a key, I think, in my mind. And I do want to come back to that, but we're just going to take um, a moment to hear from our fantastic sponsors, and we will be right back. 
This episode of the Future Construct podcast is supported by the amazing team at Applied Software. They have solutions for any modern project. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and being the champions of innovation with their real-world expert consultants. They have a comprehensive suite of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing, and they have a singular focus to help you achieve higher performance. They have software, training, support, consulting, and custom development. Applied Software has you absolutely covered for all of your workflow needs. And BIM Designs is proud to be a client and partner of Applied Software. So visit ASTI.com, that is A-S-T-I.com, and please let them know that Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. And we are back with Jag Malella talking about diversity and equity and inclusion, which, you know, really should not just be, uh, you know, a company mandate. It should really start to become part of a company's core culture. And, you know, let's think about how, you know, we can really wire that, you know, diversity together with this emerging technology to actually, you know, do exactly what you said, which is, you know, kind of close that digital divide. What are some of your thoughts on ways companies can can do that and accomplish that? Right. And, you know, in terms of, you know, transportation, let's focus narrowly on, let's say, technology as it's impacting, you know, transportation. While technology has been great, you know, it has helped us solve several problems and it will continue to help us solve uh, several problems, you know, but it has also, you know, as we talked about, created, uh, you know, it, it is not by design, it is, uh, it, it has created an equity gap. And when I say equity gap, it, it really means in equity refers in this case to the fairness in the allocation of the investments uh, and the distributions of the benefits and costs and representation, more importantly to me, in the decision-making process. You know, among communities, right? I mean, so are they represented when those investment decisions are made and how are they represented? So for example, the way we conduct meetings has an impact on that, right? Like I said, if you don't share in the knowledge economy, if you're, for example, you don't have internet access, for example, you're not part of the decision-making, right? So, uh, and oftentimes we do see that, but of course, as I said, you know, things are improving. So equity is broad-based to me, it is it is not one thing, but it is, you know, both in terms of, as I said, you know, race and gender are a big part of it, but there's a social demographic inequities, there's economic inequities, and geographic inequities as well. You know, so I think, you know, when you study all of those problems, and now think about technology, now think about, put that in the context of investments, you know, uh, when we talk about uh, as cool as it sounds, and believe me, I'm a huge technology proponent. I've done you know, a significant amount of work in you know, automation and technology, and, but you have to look at it in terms of what problem are we solving and what new problems are we creating. You know, and, what, you know, and the problems that we are solving you know, have to be social problems, right? It's social infrastructure. At the end of the day, it's public's money that's going into infrastructure. So you, you, are, you are putting in public investments you know, where you are. Uh, building new roads or new infrastructure systems, um, you have to be able to solve, you know, holistically all the problems that are that that that, that you are attempting to solve with that. And that that's my um, uh, that's my take. You know, whenever we look at investments, you know, we should be looking at whether it is transit investments, whether it is, as I said, connected automated vehicles, whether it is flying cars. 
you got to look at the social demographic characteristics of the people that you're ser- serving, like physically disabled, gender, racial, ethnic, linguistic minorities. You should be looking at distributions of the benefits and costs to those uh, people. You should be able to look at uh, the geographic diversity, you know, who's paying, who's not paying, who's participating, who's not participating, and make informed decisions. And this is not to say that, you know, everything that you do um, can always be some total, you know, to, to the uh, but but in, in, to the you know to zero. In other words, you know you may have some inequities in certain decision processes, but you got to balance the system as a whole. And I think there are ways of doing that. And um, uh, a great example, you know, I see, uh, you know, some states, for example, you know, they uh, one of the things they're doing doing is you know in the urban areas where we have system congestion issues, you know, where we need you know cellular technologies to solve system congestion problems using newer vehicles that are emerging or newer signal systems. They're also making efforts to put broad, broadband uh, access throughout the state. You know, so you know, it brings economic advantages, educational advantages to other parts of the, uh, other parts of the states which are not directly benefiting you know, from the you know, vehicle-based and infrastructure-based investments that are made, being made in the urban system. So that's a good example you know, how to balance you know, investments. So, but, uh, but I think that that is what I was driving at in, in the beginning. Yeah, I like your, that your definition of, you know, diversity doesn't just sort of, you know, end with, you know, race and gender, because I, I think you're right. There's there's so much more that makes up a diverse population. And I think now more than ever, we're in this moment with, you know, remote work becoming the norm that it seems really possible at least to have a lot more voices in the early planning discussions to be able to have kind of a broader viewpoint. And yes, probably at some point, a larger percentage of the population are going to be going back to offices. Um, It's kind of sad because it's been nice to be able to, you know, rethink our priorities. But, you know, have you seen that specifically in, um, you know, in your work, are you able to collaborate with a broader group of people globally within the company and even without uh, to, to really kind of gain better insights into some of the problems that you're solving? Definitely. I can tell you that when uh, community-based planning happens now, you know, what, one of the advantages, you know, uh, of remote work or reliance on technology has been that you're able to increase awareness of the medium for collecting opinion. And as a result, uh, you're also able to uh, distribute the means of participation you know, to those people that are, uh, are, should be part of the decision process. And as a result, I have heard anecdotally, now I don't have hard facts to back this up, that our normal planning process is receiving more, in some cases, I wouldn't say all cases, but more participation than um, than a traditional process where, you know, a few people showed up at a town hall meeting. Uh, now we, we have, you know, people in the dozens or even hundreds sometimes, more people than we've ever seen in the past being part of the decision process. So that's the positive, you know, I would say of using technology in a, in a wise way, you know, to increase awareness and inclusivity of decision process. Yeah. And I have seen that uh, because of this uh, technology evolution. And that that was the point I was making earlier about, you know, creating basic broadband access allows people to participate in the knowledge economy. Um, I mean, I'll give you another example. When you see planning around, let's say, 
advanced air mobility. It's an area that I work very closely in, for example. The first problem we got to solve is the problem of me medical access in the rural parts, you know, or the ex-urban parts where especially the underserved population or disabled or elderly population that cannot get into a car and drive to a major facility. How can we get the doctors to them? How can we get medicines to them? How can we transport them maybe in the future once there is acceptance of these kinds of new ways of transportation? You know, that's the problem that is very attractive in my, in my view. And it should not, you know, we should not lose sight of that is the problem also. But that also increases, you know, the receptivity of technology. Of course, it has other benefits, you know, in terms of getting to my airport on time, you know, flying over people, you know, not getting stuck in traffic. Those are all important things. But you also have the beneficial impacts of technology, which should reach out to the general population to increase acceptance. I think it's, it's kind of a win-win when you look at it inclusively. Yeah, and I think that there's an opportunity, again, especially you brought up healthcare that I think it's it's sort of a top-down, bottom-up approach where you know you're solving for some of the mobility pieces of it. But on the other side of that, I think that technology can allow us as individuals to take a lot more control over our day-to-day -day wellness. So we already have you know these devices that we're wearing on our wrists, but we're gonna have a lot more sensors. We you know, ostensibly will have clothing that has sensors in it that can alert us to some of the simple things that we can fix at home, being dehydrated, um, sitting too long. I, I get you know my, my notification on my, my watch that it's time to stand or it's time to breathe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that that's, that's an, an, a really interesting evolution. And I'm wondering just in terms of other technologies that you're seeing that, that can actually empower us sort of on an individual level. Are there some that you're seeing or that you're really excited about? Oh, I, I'm really excited about a few things. Like, for example, there is more linkages between transportation and health these days. You know, the, the you know, and I'm not anti-freeway by any means, but I'm saying when you build communities and design them, you know, uh, unfortunate uh, remnants of the past um, work has been that you divided communities and actually decreased what is called as the walkability score, you know, or the health you know, um, factor, you know, or a health number for the, for the community. Uh, but I, I, what I really like is, is, the, is the innovations around complete streets, you know, um, increase in thinking about how um, transportation is linked to health outcomes of people. You know, I really feel like that is, that is uh, an exciting development. It, 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 hosts, it, it basically opens up a lot of technology uh, to come into, you know, into the, into the planning and design part of it and even delivery and implementation part of it. You know, like, you know, we talked about, you know, wireless services, for example, or, you know, um, uh, services to, to, to allow, um, you know, all residents to participate, you know, uh, into, the, into the health of the community, you know, in the healthy way of living in the community. Um, other, other things that really excite me these days are, you know, as I said, the, the use cases around advanced air mobility and the impact it will have um, on health outcomes. I think that is that is a huge factor. I think um, you will see that in the future. I think that will be the number one use case, I, I believe, you know, that that will really increase the, the buy in or at least it's an immediate use case, as many have flagged. Uh, that to me is is really exciting. The ability of multimodal transportation integration, you know, using technology and seamless 
you know, access switching from modal service, you know, where you can actually bike to your train station rather than drive. Again, that, that connected transportation system offers us ways uh, to live in, you know, somebody coined it as a fractal city, like you, you, you know, you live, work and play, you know, in the same space in your community, there's a sense of belonging. Uh, and that's huge, actually, that is a huge part of social well-being, you know, as some have found in research. Uh, but then you commute efficiently, you know, when you need to commute, you know, um, and by, by reducing your footprint, carbon footprint, you know, if you have well-connected cities, you know, through, that are served well by public transit or even by car, you know, uh, by roadways as needed. Uh, but, you know, these kind of innovative mindset, open, open, rather than picking one technology, to me, you know, it opens the decision process and your mindset to a more integrated, inclusive, and potentially more healthier transportation, you know, outcomes, you know, for, for our for our citizens. And, you know, to me, that's a broad spectrum of technologies that can really play in, in, that, in, that, in that field. And that's really exciting to me. So. Yeah, and I think that there's, and there's a simplicity to a lot of the things that you're talking about. And, you know, and, and around transportation, I think it's also been interesting that, you know, these delivery mechanisms, so to sort of bring us a lot of the goods that we would normally hop in our car and go out to go get and replacing those activities with just the desire to be out in our communities, not necessarily with a purpose, but really just, just to go and be out or maybe go have a meal with someone. Um, something I noticed recently uh, when I was in LA, and this is um, also happening in San Francisco and other cities, is that a lot of the sort of, you know, parts of streets were taken over to allow restaurants and shops to have these kind of outdoor seating areas. And overwhelmingly, residents are voting to keep them, even though it actually impedes car traffic. So what you're seeing is more people walking, more people on bikes, more people, you know, kind of relishing in the fact that there's now this sort of sense of community as opposed to worried about where they're going to find a parking space for their car, their car. And I think that's a very telling and it's very interesting because it feeds right into your work. Right. And how do you now start to plan around this, this new paradigm? It it, it absolutely does. And and certainly, you know, doing that, you know, removing cars from the roads, you know, or removing parking garages has an impact on the revenue mechanisms of cities. I mean, that's not lost on anybody, but in terms of, uh, you know, looking at, looking at what you're doing to the communities that you're serving is important. There are revenue mechanisms. There are alternate ways of making money as people are discovering, you know, keeping restaurants open, having a thriving local economy is as important, you know, as having, and having footfall is more important than cars zipping through your, you know, neighborhoods because you have, you know, more people coming into the stores. And like you said, I, I live in a smaller community outside. It's a suburb of D.C., but I enjoy just biking, you know, to my grocery store, or just walking there, you know, and my kids enjoy that. I mean, it's, it's so I think you're seeing this all over the, the country in small and mid-sized cities as well, not just the big metropolitan areas. Uh, and, you know, certainly you need the roads, you need technology, you need, you know, demand management, you need tolling, uh, and, and you need to have, you know, things like digital access, you know, payment systems, you know, online payment systems, you know, the vehicles custom designed to be able to, you know, zip through those uh, toll facilities, the operating complexities and uncertainties that are associated with uh, with the transportation technology, you know, are there on the agency side, 
but from the people's side, people on, on the other side of the spectrum that cannot participate in that, you know, it creates insecurity and distrust in adopting newer technologies. So, and it doesn't serve anybody. I mean, you just drive the gap wider if you don't solve the problem earlier. So I like the innovation around providing dedicated, you know, transit facilities on the side of tolled uh, facilities, for example. I mean, uh, providing BRT, you know, um, you know, systems like that, that, that create, that take people, even connected vehicle technologies. I have seen where AVs are most useful are where um, uh, actually where they're picking up, you know, uh, uh, passengers, you know, from traditionally underserved areas in the transit context and bringing them uh, to the areas where they need to be, you know, either to go to school or shop or, you know, go to work. That I think is a huge benefit uh, for AVs, but um, um, you know those are the use cases that people are solving, and I, that really excites me because it it then creates a net win-win, you know, and increases adoption. So, yeah. So, so maybe the net net is you know kind of how how can we leverage complex systems to enable kind of the simple pleasures of life? I think that's a that's a, a, a good yeah. note and a and a and a great line of thinking, and um, certainly in line with a lot of the work that that you're doing. So, of course, this brings us to our last question, which I ask everyone. So if you could project to yourself, you know, 20, 25 years into the future, and you could have you know, any kind of gadget or service or just something that would make your life better, make you personally happy, what would it be and what would it do? Okay. That's a question. That's a very good question. Thanks for asking me that question because I've thought about that and I have more than one answer to it, but uh, I'll tell you, there is so much wisdom impact into this universe and so many people that have come and gone you know and mostly gone before us that have thought about the same things that we're thinking about today and probably more profoundly than me for sure you know if i had a gadget you know at any point in time where i'm seeking knowledge or information about something that i don't know um if i could just my brain waves could go out there and, and into the broad universe and bring that back to me instantaneously. That would make me, I mean, we have Google or <laughs> search engines now, but something more sophisticated that can bring, as soon as my thought occurs, you know, bring that knowledge back into my brain and actually bring it to the audience that I'm trying to communicate with, more importantly, because we see, I think if I could wave a magic wand and say, you know, uh, I see this very clearly. Many are not seeing, at least not having the same, same source of information. If I can just cast a spell and say, well, here's the information. I'm not trying to bias their opinion, but presenting the facts you know, that are well-researched so that they can make their information. Personally, I'd like to have that access to that wealth of knowledge that has gone before um, instantaneously. That is, that is my wish. So That's a, That is a great idea. And see, and this is, see, that could be a product. Yes. <laughs> well, Jack, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Amy. Thanks for having me.